I can remember when I was a little boy. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shining. Why don't you want to talk about it? I'm not supposed to. Who says you ain't supposed to? Tony. Who's Tony? Tony's a little boy that loves my mouth. Is Tony the one that tells you things? Yes. Has Tony ever told you anything about this place? About the Overlook Hotel? And welcome back to another episode of The Fear of God, your favorite podcast that you listen to on Tuesdays that are hosted by Reed Lackey and that other guy. Actually, with me typically is uh, Nathan Rouse, but he got like this long extended winter job. I don't know. All he kept texting me is he said, no TV and no beer make Nathan something something. And I, I just, I, I don't know exactly what it was. Uh, I'm not, I, I'm still trying to ascertain exactly what he meant by that. It's just uh, make him something, something. I don't know. What to, oh, there you, there you are. There you are. I'm trying, I'm trying to do my like Jack Nicholson wandering through the ice maze. Oh, <laughs> and instead you're coming off like a mongoose. <laughs> Is that a mongoose? Is it? Is the portal of mongoose, mongoose? I have no idea. I, I really... Are you going to do this again? Are you going to... Every... <laughs> Are we in store for another... Dude, you know me. Make I sure Reed so, unpacks all of his verbal... I am verbal... so semantically oriented. So... Um, it's true. My it's coworkers true. will make fun of me because we have like this uh, just ongoing text thread of about half a dozen of us. And and it's 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 a sales environment. And so like I am the nerdiest probably of them. Um, and I am always correcting people's like it's it's become the gag where it's like, oh Nathan, let me correct it real quick when they know they screwed up. So, <laughs> so now I get it. But but little but see, this is why you're my friend. This is why you like me is because right, I follow right. these little rabbit trails, these little mongoose trails. It's true. It's like, huh? Yeah. It's, it's, it's true. we talk about staying curious on the show. You know, I'm just curious. Like, is it mongoose or mongooses? Mongoose. Well, it's definitely not mongooses. That's are you sure? That's not a word. I don't know what it is. I would imagine it'd be mongoose because the plural of goose is geese and mongoose sounds very similar to geese. It does sound very similar. 
Well, you talk for a second. I'm going to find out. (laughs) (laughs) So, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is, in fact, the third episode. That's right. We've been running for two years now, or no, more like a year and a half, but this is the third episode of our Quarterly King. Mongooses. It It is. It is Mongooses? It's Mongooses, or at least the dictionary app that I go to all the time, so unless it's grossly incorrect. Noun, plural mongooses a slender ferret well, a ferret-like carnivore any of several several other animals of this genus or related genera mongooses now well, you know the more you know the more you know um so yeah so we are uh in fact venturing past the mongooses into <laughs> our third quarterly Woo-hoo. king uh so about every 25 episodes or so we dig specifically into the catalog of our beloved uncle stevie and uh we talk uh, about one of his most iconic works um i'm sure eventually by about quarter king 16 we're gonna uh you know run into some of his lesser known catalog works <laughs> but uh but for right now we're still covering the top tier we covered carrie uh we covered it um and now today we are diving into the one the only uh many consider it to be his absolute greatest work we are talking this week about what nathan the shining red rom that's right red rom i was my wife hasn't seen this movie and before uh i watched it last night she was trying to do grad school work on the co- uh, grad school work on the computer and i just went and stood by her and went rad rom with the with the, with the finger <laughs> she was like yeah i don't i don't what are you even saying i was like it's murder backwards it's murder backwards <laughs> don't you get it Yes, red rum, and see, there's so many connections because it's murder backwards, but also red rum is an illusion for blood, and it's all this. Oh, yes, yeah, it's great. Rum. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm really glad we do these. Like me too. Me too. Uh, although, as you and I have started to discover, there's so much material that could be covered. It actually is pretty hard to pin it down. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like it's like it's difficult. When are we going to get to another one? Oh, yeah. in another quarter. Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be another Another like 25 25 episodes. episodes. Well, and it's tough, too, because I'm like when we eventually get like I kind of want misery, even though it's part of hashtag I love the 90s. I kind of want a de facto like another one. That's true. I forgot we did that. Well, let me ask you this. You you surprised me a minute ago with ranking or at least decrying is decrying. That's a bad thing. Like you decrying something down is like bad. Right. right. You didn't decry. You proclaimed. Um, Proclaim. that The Shining is considered one of his finest works. I did it, like it. Really, is. really. I mean, I now clearly, mm-hmm. clearly, it'd be you know considered in the top probably five to ten. Of course, I don't mean to to um you know decry that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I guess it surprises me, and uh, I would have thought The Stand would be like top of the barrel. Yeah, and you're. Yeah, you're not alone. So, so camps. I'm not necessarily uh, who, stating who, that for myself unequivocally. I just mean like I would have thought that'd be the case. So. No, no, no. Of course. Well, no. So, so uh, I will say this: that uh, depending on kind of what kind of fan, what kind of Stephen King fan you are, your answer to what his greatest sort of crowning achievement is probably either going to be the Stand, it, the Dark Tower series. Or The Shining. And for The Shining is definitely regarded by the sort of massive objective literary world as his greatest book. Right. 
so um, we've we you know we've said before and we said on pod how its uh, final moments has some problems to it you know uh, takes some some hard left turns into the astral plane as it were and turtles all the way down and all this other sort of stuff um, spoiler alert but. So, uh, so that, you know, it, it, the end of the novel has some challenges and some problems to it. The stand, uh, has a better case, but even it in its sort of final moments, um, can sometimes feel a bit overwrought, uh, as it were, although I love the stand. I think the stand is a wonderful book. Um, and then the dark tower is, it's a glaring magnum opus, but it frequently has, you know, some difficulties in the particulars of some of its individual books. So that's why the larger literary world is like The Shining is where it's at, because The Shining is a very focused book. Right. It's a very cohesive book. Uh, it doesn't have a weak ending. It's got, in fact, a very strong and emotional and powerful ending. Um, it has a lot of thematic complexity going on to it. Its characters are fully fleshed out. Um, there is a wealth of things that you could talk about in the, the novel itself. So that's why the literary world kind of considers The Shining to be King's most impressive, uh, you know, achievement, as it were, at least as far as I know. Um, but, uh, well, but yeah, to, it to is. To be fair, to, yeah. so that uh, listeners will, uh, uh, who are probably wondering right now, we're more or less, I mean, I think you would probably echo this. The film will be like 65% of our conversation influence the book. You know, probably about yes. 35 or so. Um, it's not a, it's yeah, not a clean, agreed. not a clean 50, 50, you know, I think both of us refreshed book material though. I did, I did, I have read the book before. And in fact, it was only probably within the last two years. It's a relatively recent, but did refresh myself. I didn't reread it cover to cover. Um, and I had, it's, I did a similar it's, thing. it's funny. You, um, during our X-Files conversation, while we both sat on Grandma's pot, um, she... <laughs> do you know what that makes me think of? Did you ever see the old the old SNL, The Love Toilet? Does this, does this ring a bell? No, oh, man. My you clearly watched so much more Saturday Night Live. I did. I did. I mean, this is like during that during that era of like Kevin Nealon and Mike Myers and Anna Carvey and all them. Well, the, oh, yeah, okay. They'd always do okay. these commercials, and one of them was The Love Toilet. And it was, <laughs> it was this sort of these adjoining but facing each other commodes and it was really funny and me just saying you and I in grandma's bathroom together made me think of the love toilet <laughs> however oh that's not where I was going um, okay. you made a reference to me making you watch or encouraging you watch or inviting you alongside to watch the X-Files series finale initial series finale which is weird oh right um, right during that same, possibly that same night, but definitely during that same era, same moment in time, you, we watched The Shining. Did um, we? I didn't yeah, remember that. That oh, was my cool. first. And in fact, it is very possible. It would have been pre, uh, pre Halloween, I think, because we went out to California in September. I believe. No, it was October. It was October. It, it, it might have actually been what. Our, our Halloween viewing. So anyway, that was my first oh, wow. uh, experience of seeing The Shining. I had not rewatched it again until now. Um, so wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, so the so the relationship of the film to the book has some it's some fraught, if you will. Yes. 
Yes, because I will say this, like, and a lot of people have echoed this. I agree with this sentiment. The Shining, the film, is a great film that is a terrible adaptation. And I know that that can be that can be hard to kind of reconcile. But, you know, like we talked last week about we need to talk about Kevin and how that was a very faithful adaptation, a very good adaptation. But The Shining is a great example of how you can take the substance of a book and take some of the major narrative beats, but essentially make an utterly different movie right. in theme and, yeah. and, and a lot of uh, a lot of changes to uh, sometimes some major plot beats. But again, there's a lot of elements in the film The Shining that are present in the book. But well, what's uh, funny is like the what's fascinating about The Shining specifically, um, you know, anytime you adapt a work of fiction from one medium to the next, there's naturally going to be some shuffling, some composite characters, you know, right, just some, some right. yeah, I mean, this is just sort of how you do it when you do it. I don't, granted, I don't have some laundry list in front of me, but it's almost intentional in reconfiguring the thematic elements. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Which is, which yeah. is a little odd, but does explain if anyone doesn't know kind of the mythology here, like Stephen King was not happy about, the Kubrick no. uh, sort of adaptation. No. And and it's funny because like I, I can understand why he's not happy about it because of how different it is from his material. I think he's being too dismissive because the film I think is phenomenal. I mean, I think the film is absolutely outstanding, but I, I do understand when you look at how different it is from the book and from the main themes of the book, how Stephen King would be upset by that. Um, and he, he talks about how there's a, there's a coldness to The Shining um, that is not present in his book. Um, and it is, it is telling. I mean, spoiler alert. Uh, spoiler alerts abound for both book and, and movie in this. But King is quoted as having saying, like, if you want to recognize just how cold the movie is, take note of the fact that in the novel the overlook burns and in the book or in the film it freezes sure because because that is a distinct you know sort of difference the character of jack has a distinctly different arc and a distinctly different problem in the book than he does in the film uh the well, fate of yo go ahead oh, oh I, was, all I was gonna say is king did not want nicholson no he didn't want nicholson because no. and and i think it's it's funny um, and we can unpack this some, or maybe it's, uh, if, if you're not picking up yet, listeners, this quarterly King, you know, we're, we're abandoning a little bit of our traditional format. I'm just diving right in here. Um, but I was a little, this may surprise you cause we haven't unpacked this yet. I was, no. I was a little, so, so my sequence of this story is watching the film with you. Yeah. If you're keeping up. That was 16 years ago. Um, <laughs> Watching the film then, reading the book two years ago. I don't know if you remember this. I remember reaching out to you in the middle of the reading the book and being like, I am so much more enthralled by this than, oh, yes. than I sort yeah, of yeah, expected yeah, yeah. to be and or knew to be um, based on sure. the experience of the movie. And then rewatching the movie, I was actually less, I, I was less on board with the movie this time because of really? my, okay. my affection sure, sure. for, and this is like, I hope I could find more to say in this conversation because this is just sort of playing my whole <laughs> playing my whole hand here. Like I do think, technically speaking, it's a really strong film. I just, 
I, I, I struggled with any sort of character, you know, sort of intentions and motivations and, and, sure, and so, sure. so I, what I didn't know until, uh, sort of briefing myself after this most recent viewing, I didn't know the Nicholson complaint of Kings. I knew just through, yes. uh, you know, through conversations with you and, and by osmosis, I knew that King didn't love the Kubrick film. I didn't totally know all the ins and outs of that, but it made perfect sense to me because one of his biggest complaints or, or his opposition to, to Nicholson's casting was, Nicholson has a a sinister demeanor and are you playing yes. your card too strong too soon he actually I don't know if you know this but he he leveraged or tried to campaign for John Voight at the time oh I think I had yeah I do remember um but it makes total sense I, watching the film again I was like these shifts are so hard the pivots are so mm-hmm. just just abrasive in a way right. that right anyway so yeah it was it was interesting to read some of the mythology around the actual production of this film. Sure, sure. And it's it's funny because the experience that you mentioned is very common. People tend to uh, the experience I'm about to describe which you alluded to is uh is not isolated. This happens frequently. People see the film, they usually love the film or they're at least intrigued by it and fascinated and horrified and wow, this is an exceptionally well-made film. Then if they go and read the book after having seen the film, they walk away with a very similar experience. Like, wow, this book is so much more complex and better and stronger. And the characters are so much more compelling and the stakes feel higher for what's going on because of the emotional connection and emotional involvement with the characters, particularly with the character of Jack Torrance, Jack Torrance in the film. I love Jack Nicholson. I think he's an outstanding actor. Jack Torrance in the film, you're kind of always like, like you said, you're kind of always like, eh, this guy's a little bit of a creep, like something's something's going on. But in the novel, man, your heart just yeah. goes yeah. out to him for everything because he's a recovering alcoholic, and which is true in the film too. But it's just again, there's a lot. It's almost Nicholson. Sort it's of almost brings. incidental in the film, like it doesn't. Any, yes. Anyway, yeah. Well, there's a there's a line. I'm going to I'm going to just quote it and I'll probably bleep this because we usually don't get this uh, cursing in the in the episodes. But uh, there's a line that just breaks my heart every time I think about it in like chapter two, chapter two or three of the novel, because the novel starts very slowly. Like people who are expecting sort of a horrific thrill ride, like it is an easy halfway through the book before anything remotely scary happens. Um, they're just he's just getting you introduced to these characters. He's just telling you who they are and what they're what they're all about. Well, in the novel, Jack goes on this stream of consciousness sort of thought process about his alcoholism and how that caused him to hurt his son, Danny, one time because he was drunk and he came home and Danny had scattered papers all over the floor and he he was drunk. So he was out of control of his faculties. He grabbed Danny's arm and yanked Danny's arm out of socket uh, because he grabbed him too hard. And the line that just breaks my heart uh, every single time I think about it, but the, the line in the novel is he is at one moment sort of remembering those things. And Jacques Torrance says to himself, please, God, don't let me be a son of a please, God. Mm. And it just it just hurts my heart because like like just that that statement of things right. of saying, right. like, please, 
don't let me be like this. Please let me not be like this. And then that is who Jack is in the beginning of the novel, The Shining. So then when it all starts to go down at the Overlook Hotel, you are, as a reader, at least I am, and it sounds like you were, you are just devastated and terrified at the same time because you're like, oh my gosh, no, don't. Don't go there. Don't go down this path. Don't do this thing. And then it's it's a brilliant blend of the sort of the emotional devastation and the the terror that you feel for Wendy and Danny. Right. Because it's like, oh, my gosh, they are all alone. Well, and, I mean, and, they are utterly alone. And, you know, again, I'm sure we'll get to some of these. There are, of course, strengths to the film, but you know, character is so huge and it would make sense to me why King would wrestle so openly in the production of, as we've talked about one of his greatest works, like sure the, the sense you get. And again, if you haven't read the book yet and I've only seen the film, it doesn't stand out quite so much, but the film, it's almost like Jack Torrance is a neutral character who just yes. who just totally gives into his resentments and it's an increasing roller coaster it's an increasing escalation of his hostility like like yes. period like that is the arc of the Jack Torrance character in the film as opposed to the novel version of him who and why I was so surprised at my investment who yes does start to succumb to some of the influence of the hotel but you watch him be plagued by it and, and to, to actually yeah. actively attempt resistance and to work against, you know, I mean, the correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the final moments of the book is him telling Danny to get away. Like it's, it's, yes. it's him oh, yeah. actively trying to save. And he, you know, I can't remember the exact sort of how it uh, dynamics of doesn't, I think Danny tips him off to go to the boiler. But, you know, he yes. he is he is present of mind to go and, and end his own life in an effort to save his family. Yeah, as, you're remembering correctly. as opposed to yeah. the movie, which is absolutely not that at all. No, I mean, it doesn't even no, in the it doesn't movie, even flirt with it. No, in the movie, he's gone. He's just he's just done. And movie implies with that cryptic final shot that he's always been gone. That it's that it's a sort of a cyclical, wild, repetitive thing that he's just that he was always doomed and and always sort of condemned to this this particular fate. But yeah, that was another thing that you you touched on it that King uh, took great umbrage with in the fact that in the novel Jack Torrance has a very specifically redemptive note in the conclusion of the of the piece. Like yeah, he he fights it and he ultimately at the loss of his own life overcomes the demons that he's been wrestling with, which is a, an extremely redemptive note. But that was utterly gone. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The film does not even flirt with it. It's funny rewatching the movie. And and I knew I, I had not watched it since reading the book. I knew my affection for the book. I knew some of the I educated myself more after the rewatch, but I knew some of the conversation around Kubrick and King's sort of friction. Yeah. To the point, and, and why that's humorous to me is watching the film. I didn't remember this, how this resolved. Um, I, okay. I knew the iconic shot of a frozen Jack Nicholson, you know, at the end. Yes. But I yeah. didn't remember how we get there. It's so like clunky 
when it happens. <laughs> like he's just, sure. he's yeah. like a wounded cow wandering that maze. And then literally there's this, there's this cut to a popsicle Jack. And it's like, popsicle. it was just, there was almost a sense of like, dang, Stanley, you didn't even like try to connect the dots here. Did you just, <laughs> did you just run out of production time? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, insert the he, shot. Insert the right, shot. Right, right, right. And he's a popsicle. Ice cube Jack. All <laughs> right. And we're done. That's a wrap, everybody. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see it. And it's like, it's like for all of the things, and I definitely think there are things of merit for all the things that you could laud Kubrick's film for. Sure. I mean, if you're if you're a listener who has only ever seen the film, read the book. Oh, yeah. please, please go seek it out and read it because yes, it is provocative and moving and terrifying and and terrifying. Like we're we're kind of highlighting some of the more emotional beats. That book is freaking terrifying. It is scary as crap because not only do you deal with and and it's I mean I'll say this because several of our listeners I know happen to be this. Um, it's terrifying as a father, terrifying yeah, as yeah. a father because because he digs deep. King digs deep and drills down on sort of the the accidental uh, overuse of force or the accidental overuse of or exertion of authority and all these kind of things that that fathers sort of have to wrestle with sometimes. And and King. King is such an honest writer that he just lays it feels like he kind of lays bare his soul in in a lot of some of these stream of consciousness passages that happen in the book and that's terrifying but then on top of that there are segments that either for budgetary reasons or for an active decision were not in the film do you remember the wasps from the novel oh, yeah. do you yeah, remember yeah, the yeah. wasps oh, and the wicked. and the wasps nest oh man it is it is horrifying uh the the thing that almost comes off goofy in the 1997 miniseries that they did but when the hedge maze well the hedge figures come to life and are and are uh stalking and potentially hunting danny that's a that's a horrifying sequence and so there's several things in the book that are uh really worth visiting it if your only experience of the of the story is you, the you, film you invoked it do you like the miniseries um i haven't seen it i firmly yeah i firmly like it it is let me just be unambiguous it is not very good um it is much more faithful to the book so if you like that um but it's a bit overlong in places and some of because it was television some of the special effects that they attempted to do just come off looking a little silly and hokey, right. which weakens the fear factor. Uh, but I will say that it's got a very uh, strong performance by Steven Weber, who definitely fits that mold of when you first see him, you like him, right. and then right. you watch the progressive sort of decay in his soul. Um, but yeah, the the 1997 miniseries is, is faithful. The miniseries does an interesting thing that neither, since we brought it up, it does an interesting thing that neither Kubrick's film nor the novel do that I thought was interesting because King adapted the Shining miniseries, right, the 97 right. miniseries. In the miniseries, you see Tony, which which comes off silly, to be honest. It comes off very silly. But you see Tony as Danny is kind of talking to him. And you see this figure. It's like this, oh, he's a... Uh, you know, like a 20-something guy wearing glasses, and it's really weird. It's like, this is a strange affectation for Tony. Like, this this is really a bizarre choice. And at the end of the film, it fast-forwards several years later, and you realize that 
Tony is actually Danny as an adult, right. which is this weird sort of like well, it's psychic. Because you learn that his thing. middle name is Anthony, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And um, well, I actually and think so that now, remind me that's not in the book, right? Is that it's not explicit okay. in the book? No, you find out. Say, his, I, yeah, his middle name. is No, I mean, I mean that Tony in the book. I can't remember. Is is the Tony of the book meant to be a future Danny? They never. No, King does okay, not okay. make that explicit. I do kind of. Yeah, I do kind of. Yeah, I do kind of like that. That flourish. I mean. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, and that's and that's one thing that the ninety seven. And again, we can consider that to a degree canonical to the to the right, material because right. King wrote the screenplay. Right. So we can consider that to be, you know, uh, valid to a reading of the of well, material as, as well. Especially because the sh- the shining itself as a phenomenon is is primarily future seeing, you know. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Presented in the in the book or in the film. Now, I don't want to divert us too much, but I have to ask since we're talking about ancillary material to it. Have you read Doctor Sleep? I have read Doctor Sleep. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. My only so there's a couple of things I liked a lot about it, and I would even say loved about it. My only sort of complaint is it feels very unlike a sequel to The Shining, yes, and more yeah. just like a story King had that he happens to include Danny Torrance in. Um, so that was my only major complaint with it: is it doesn't build on a ton of material from The Shining itself. Well, and it's I think just for a future I, adventure, yeah, I do think for better or worse. The Shining, uh, what I liked about Dr. Sleep is it took the germ of the literal Shining, you know, and kind of, and kind of, and kind of ran with it. I liked that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I do think the plague you run into though is the overlook as an, as a, as an icon is Mm -hmm. inextricably linked to that first story. And so it almost feels like, you you could make the case, and probably plenty have, and maybe King intended that the Overlook is a character, and so to yeah. to to move into a further story not inclusive of that character feels like half of a story. You know what I mean? Like sure, it's, right? So right. so I, I could see where you know if someone didn't like Doctor Sleep, I would not begrudge them that, but I, I did find it an entertaining read. Uh, definitely, yeah, exactly. definitely, yeah. definitely not, you know, kind of legacy material per se, but, uh, an interesting sure. read and, uh, listeners skip ahead about 30 seconds. If you don't want to hear a spoiler for the end of Dr. Sleep, but I did get genuinely moved, uh, when he makes his way back to the overlook hotel and sees the spirit of Jack and Jack. Mm. Yeah. 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 That, and Jack yeah. waves at him. Yeah. And like that's genuinely moving, uh, particularly in light of what we're talking about with, with sure. uh, the shining and everything. So I, I did love that. Um, now, what yeah. do you what? But what do you think? Like, so we're, clearly, listener, apologies. We we are bouncing between. This is the a multimedia uh, podcast <laughs> right. here, like a special episode. Um, I didn't I didn't do enough kind of academic uh, digging to sort of ascertain what Kubrick might have been going for here. But like, is it just meant to be suggestive? Is he intending that there's some sort of closed loop? cycle happening with Nicholson with that Jack as like I, I, I don't know like what I don't yeah I didn't do any sort of academic reading myself I don't know and I feel a bit remiss that I, I feel a bit uh, sure. unprepared to not come in with sort of what the schools no, of thought I mean, are but but I do think that 
in general, uh, the impression that I get from it is that it is meant to be this sort of ongoing cyclical thing that that uh, a character spirit is continually drawn back to this place, to this individual place. It's like when the character of Grady says to him, you've always been right. the caretaker. Right. You know? Yeah, I, I do get the sense that something Kubrick is scratching at is this notion of, you know, that, that they are... Uh, that it is inexplicably linked to the Overlook and that Jack Torrance is like a, I don't want to, reluctant to use the word reincarnation, but he's a yeah, newly well, embody, I mean, a new right, embodiment right, right. of this thing, perpetually drawn back to this place to do this thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I get the impression that that's the intention behind it. Whereas in the novel, you get, and I, I can't remember because I, I myself as well did not fully reread it. Um, but you get the impression that the Overlook is simply feeding off of the prey that it has in its clutches. So that it's not necessarily that the Overlook drew Jack here and that it was, you know, intentionally sort of trying to get him to come. But that once he's here, the malevolent spirits that abound in the Overlook sort of see him as a weak link and latch onto him and and manipulate his weaknesses for their own ends well and correct me if i'm wrong i mean i think a distinct difference between the book and the movie is or at least it feels like the book paints the overlook as uh, sentient is not too strong a word perhaps and yeah is is intent on danny because of the shining like it it perceives yes. the shine itself and sort of wants to consume him because of that. Whereas in the movie, Danny is pretty incidental. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, there is one. So there is one line in the movie okay. that connects that. You are correct. But the, but the, but the line in the movie is when uh, Dick Halloran is talking to Danny about The Shining. Right. And he says some places shine too and you could say that the overlook has a kind of a shine to it sure so so again it's loose i'm not even at all saying yeah, that the yeah, film yeah, yeah. directly addresses it but but it is sort of a loose thread that you could make a case for like yeah they they connect that idea that the the overlook is uh, you know that it to put it in that has, language, has a shine to it yeah, yeah. That it is a it is a willful, like you said, sentience is not too far of a stretch right, right. to say like there is there is a there is a uh, an active malevolence to this place um, that then sort of gets its claws into into uh, Jack. One thing um, to take a hard left left turn here. One thing that King uh, actively criticized Kubrick's adaptation was about its treatment of the character of Wendy, yeah. because. In the, it is, it is, I'm just going to go ahead and say abusive in the, in the film, but in the novel, Wendy is much more proactive. Sure, I mean, She's sure. still, I mean, you're, you, she's still, uh, listeners, I'm hoping this is not going to come off wrong, but she's still a woman and her child against a, you know, croc it's a croquet mallet, not an axe in the novel, but against a croquet mallet wielding madman right um, so she's still you know the odds are against her but she's much more proactive and actualized in the novel right, right. than she remotely is in the film she's a much more fully fleshed out character with very real motivations smart um she she definitely gets into some situations in the novel where you think he you think she might exit <laughs> you think he might get her um but uh but yeah she's a much more sort of whole it person. is it's almost unfortunate like there there is Hear me. 
it, it feels like I'm beating up the movie. I'm beating up the movie's sort of spirit, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's execution is incredibly strong. Um, but there's a way in which it does feel like an fu to the source material. Well, yeah, know? and and King called it. Well, you talk about it, the film spirit. King called it soulless. Right. I mean, he called the film soulless. He said that it's a great big beautiful car with no engine in it so it can't take you anywhere and which i don't know so that i would sad go that because far. yeah which is so sad because the iconography of the cinematic experience of the shining by stanley kubrick is i mean it's it's seminal film like oh absolutely i mean the absolutely. sisters I mean that that the 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 elevator of blood that trailer I oh. mean like that is ignore the context of it in the movie if you can say there is context of it like as a trailer that is a perfect piece of media it's brilliant if you have um, not listeners if you have not sought out the original 1980 trailer for the shining like pause the episode and do so now because it is brilliant it is well, utterly genius and it's such a it's so sad because like the movie is so stylish in a in a kind of I think you'll understand this word in a sexy kind of way. Like it, it is a stylish, sure, sure. it has got some swagger to it. I mean, that opening, what, five minutes of just, you know, countryside oh. and the drive, you're like, yes. I, I don't know. I don't know if you saw this. Um, I mean, I know you saw what I did. I, I posted an image of myself watching the movie, not of me, but as in my television during that thing. And just as a fun lark sure, on Instagram, sure. I said, hashtag name that movie. Literally. I thought someone's going to say the sound of music. Did you see that someone? <laughs> the did you very see? first. Someone said, oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, someone said the, the sound of music. Comic. I was like, no, that's really nope, funny that you said not. that, though. Because um, you've got this, this snowy mountain in the distance, this kind of pastoral scene. Um, sure, anyway, so, sure. so yeah, the movie has a clear kind of swagger and confidence to it. It just, it never marries that to kind of rich character work. Right. And I tell you, this is where this is where Stanley Kubrick was a certifiable genius. That is one. The, the Shining is one of the most visually interesting and visually arresting films I have ever seen. I mean, uh, the, like in terms of the framing of the shots in terms every single time that opening with those deep intonations, those yeah, deep synthesizer yeah. intonations and that that long drift over the water and the, the panning landscapes. It is a very immediately I'm invited into the film immediately. I'm like, OK, yeah, now here we go. And and so many of the individual shots. I mean, how brilliant when Danny is riding his tricycle through the hotel yeah, yeah, and, and, and and that one shot where he's like he's riding it when he's on the hardwood it's loud and then when he hits the carpet there's this just like this repeated sort of muting Yo, sound that's great yep, yep oh it's brilliant and i mean that's the thing is that's what's what's so disappointing to me about that's why i say it is a it is a fantastic film and a terrible adaptation because it I don't I I like you don't think it's a stretch to say that the film is almost giving the finger to the source material while simultaneously being a deeply compelling and terrifying and and largely very effective film. Uh, right. So so, yeah, it's a little difficult because it's like I, I kind of want them to be better friends than they are. But right, but right. I understand why they're not, you know, well, it's like you, yeah. you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. And, and you know, so we've referenced the Kubrick film, the King novel, the 
King adapted uh, adapted miniseries uh, directed I'm, by Mick Garris. But yes, I'm gonna throw I'm, I'm gonna throw another piece of media at us, and that is mine and your walk through the Halloween Horror Nights Shining <laughs> Maze. Where I'm going with this though, <clears throat> so uh, listeners, if you're new, to I'll the tell you where God, I thought you were going in a second. But this oh, is better. Okay. Um, if you're new to the Fear of God, you should go. Listen to the hashtag I love the 90s series from October of 2017. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> several, several of those episodes were recorded on site at Universal Studios in California for during Halloween Horror Nights. And I lost a few years off my life. Um, <laughs> like they are still sitting on the ground at Universal. Um, I am grayer than I was before then. My, my bowels don't hold up quite as well as they did before then. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, one of the mazes was The Shining. And like, I don't know if you felt this way. You know, all, all of these kind of mazes they do there, at least my experience, which is only one year, like they're really kind of cool, generally artful kind of recreations of certain elements of some of these kind of scary movies. I'm, I'm getting kind of sweaty just thinking about that experience. But uh, <laughs> but specifically, there was a Shining one, or one for The Shining. And I don't even know that I ever told you this, but like I, my, my scare threshold for that particular one was so low because it's like, it's just going to be... Oh. It's just going to be iterations of a dummy Jack Torrance jumping out of me in various forms. You know what I mean? It's like there's right, 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 right. Like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> as <laughs> as opposed to you know your insidious thing of the creepy nasties running out at you yes. and the pig monsters from American Horror Story, or whatever. Anyway, my point being, it didn't make for a really scary like maze. You know, sure, sure. Uh, and it was. I mean, I'll be honest that it was. It was kind of on the weak sauce. One of the things that I didn't like about that maze was that they. They utilized so many like just screens, like images from the film, uh, and and that made it feel like it was it was like cheap because you didn't. One of the things I love about when Universal gets their horror mazes right is you feel like you're stepping into the the room, you're stepping right, into right. the place. But they used so many of the, like the individual screens, and it's not like it was absolute. I mean, my favorite part of it honestly was the entrance when you're walking into the horror to the hedge maze and hearing that that intonation that we talked about earlier the synthesizer music so that was my that was one of my favorite parts of the yeah, of the maze yeah. itself um uh, but i did yes it was it was fun it was not as much fun for me where did you think i was because, going i'm sorry finish, finish uh, i'll yeah. tell you in a second no no it's okay no it was not as much fun for me listeners uh if you don't recall um nathan's experience of that was being mortally terrified <laughs> and um and and clinging <laughs> to to me for dear life my experience as a five foot seven rather scrawny individual was having um, a six foot two larger individual um, practically trying to get a piggyback while I was wandering through the entire maze and a piggyback uh, ride, a piggyback ride. Let's yeah, a whole piggyback yeah, ride. Yeah, right, yes, right. yes. Um, and in fact, almost every single time, because it's one of the gimmicks is is they can't touch you. One of the gimmicks. <laughs> Because they can't touch you. And I always took such great psychological comfort in the fact that they can never touch you. But when you have a Nathan Rouse clinging to your shoulders, and then something scares said Nathan Rouse, and he hurls you against the wall, you get the scare, and then you get something hurling you against the wall. Well, it's like I, I, I used I used Reed 
though, if you ever saw us side by side, you'd be like, this is a futile effort. I need to read. <laughs> I need to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, things that scare us make us not think rationally. I, I used to oh. use a human shield. And when he says throw him into the wall, I mean, he means sling him into the monsters that are coming at you. Like, yes, I would, yes. I would hur- hurtle, hurtle you towards the, <laughs> towards the threat. Oh, my, oh gosh. my goodness. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, ultimately, yeah, the Shining Maze was a bit disappointing. But, um, but yeah, what, I mean, yeah. it's interesting. I mean, I've is heard that where people, you, Is that where you thought I was going? No. Where I oh, thought well. you were going uh-huh. was uh, to Treehouse of Horror 4. Oh, no. From The Simpsons. Have you ever seen right. it? Maybe, but it's been forever. Oh, be they buried. do a spoof of The Shining, uh-huh. and it is genius. I'm going to try That's to link awesome. to it on Facebook. after the, They do the spoof of The Shining, and it is brilliant. At one point, uh, Groundskeeper Willie, who is the Dick Halloran sort of substitute, okay. he's walking uh-huh. up to Bart, and uh, and Bart's, and he's like, he's like, yeah, you got the shinning. And he's like... <laughs> He's like, don't you mean, don't you mean shining? And he's like, quiet. You want to get sued? <laughs> and, then, uh, and then what I referenced earlier when I said no TV and no, you know, uh, like no right, TV and right. no beer make Nathan something, something that's directly from the Simpsons, because then All what right. he does is he says, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to write a title it's, and I'm going with no TV and no beer make Homer something, something. And Marge says, go crazy and he says don't mind if i do <laughs> it's the best it's the best and then and then okay two more lines okay two more lines from, from, so, so then, quarterly king three so then uh when uh when smithers and mr burns are leaving because they're like the owners of the hotel when they're leaving and he removes the cable and removes all the beer actively smithers is like hey do you think this is why people keep psycho killing everybody? And then Mr. Burns goes, hmm, you might be onto something. Tell you what, we come back and everybody slaughtered. I owe you a Coke. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then at the end when they have, you know, Popsicle Jack, well, they have Popsicle right. Homer, but with Popsicle Homer, they're all sitting there frozen with a little like TV camera. You'd have to see the episode to find out why, but with a little TV camera, they're all sitting there frozen. And then Homer's like, uh, they're like, here, yeah, give him this TV camera. And he and he's like, urge to kill, fading, fading, urge to kill, gone. And then and then it's like the the I forget exactly what show it was. I shouldn't quote it if I don't remember exactly the line. But uh, it's it cites some show. It's like, and now for eight hours of you know the Merv Griffin band or whatever it is. And then he's <laughs> like, he's like. Urge to kill, rising. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it's just great. Seek it out from Treehouse of you know, Horror. What's funny about that is when you when you introduced me that way, I was like, I don't, I don't really like beer. Does Reed really know me? Am I? Are, we, are there are there cracks in our friendship we need to discuss off pod? I didn't know you were quoting The Simpsons. That's so awesome. So yeah. So uh, so yeah. So that's that's the pop culture references there. Now back to The Shining. Um, <laughs> the Shining. <laughs> the Shining. Um, but uh, but yeah. I mean, I definitely think. Uh, let, let it let me not be uh, you know vague about this. I definitely think the film has a lot of merit. I think just in retrospect having read the book uh yeah the book is so much 
more deeply a rewarding experience. If you're a reader, I mean, I can understand if people don't really like to read, then yeah, watch the movie, whatever. But um, all of our listeners our, are our readers. Our listeners are readers. Yeah, yeah. all of our yeah. listeners are readers. So like, seek out that book if you haven't if you haven't read it. It is a deeply rewarding and uh, and worthwhile experience. And I can confidently say, yeah, if you've only ever seen the movie, the book is not spoiled for you. We may have said some things that have just spoiled certain particulars, but yeah, the the book is uh, vastly different in in many many ways. I will. Give props to the movie here like i think the cat as maybe lopsided as bless her heart shelly duvall is to everyone else i think the casting of danny is great i think that's a really strong little performer yes uh, no i totally agree i think scatman carruthers as dick halloran is fantastic i yeah. think yeah i think he's he get, he delivers a wonderful <laughs> performance <laughs> I wasn't thinking about the actor's name and I thought you were just about to start scatting. And I was like, please, Jesus, let that be what's happening right now. I was like, what is happening? Shining. You got the shining. Skip it. Yep, yep, shining. Some places have the shine too. He just dances around everything. <laughs> Until he gets an axe to the chest. Oh, <laughs> well, if he wouldn't dance so darn much, if he wasn't like, <laughs> oh, the Simpsons should have done that. Oh my god, <laughs> been awful. Oh, that's hysterical. Oh my gosh, man, listen, uh, to what is going on? It's like I tune in for Quarterly King. I was not ready. I was not ready. Um, <laughs> but right, uh, I want to know. Read what's um what what is your favorite scary moment from the movie or uh let me rephrase that scariest moment what what what, what do you think is the most well executed kind of scariest moment or image from the movie um i think the scariest moment for me we very jokingly referenced it like 10 seconds ago but the scariest moment for me is dick halloran's death uh, in terms of like a jump moment, in terms right. of like a oh my gosh, that is because yeah, it's it's kind of heartbreaking in the film when he's like coming to kind of save the day, and you think he's going to show up. And King does this a lot. Like we referenced in Misery, how King does this exact thing with the sheriff, whose name escapes me right. at the moment, but right. but it's like King does this often, where it's like somebody is geared up to show up and save the day. And then when they come in, now maybe they move the plot forward in terms of provide some opportunity for our hero to ultimately get away or whatever. But, um, but, but yeah, like poor Dick Halloran, he does not, uh, he does he not survive. And he's just like, <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> the visual that I just had. <laughs> of poor Scatman Crows, God rest his soul. <laughs> Hardest 
that I have ever laughed on the show. Oh my! An image episode. What do you find scary? Now? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> no. Uh, well, you know what's funny about you referencing that scene is you may have just said this, and I just wasn't listening to you. Um, that doesn't happen in the book. Like he gets no. He, AIDS in their escape. <laughs> you okay? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was hysterical. <laughs> listeners don't know I am I am uh, actually crying. Uh, I have uh, I have laughed myself into tears. It really thrills that, me that, that oh. this moment happened. Oh my gosh, this is one. Of, it's not often that I laugh so hard that I'm legitimately like tearing up and crying. That is that is happening at this moment. <laughs> that is. Oh my gosh, I can't. I can't. Oh, that's um, funny. But no, so in the book, a similar moment happens. Sure. Um, in the book, because again, in the book, um, <laughs> I don't know how I can do this. In the book, he's got a, uh, Jack has a croquet mallet, not a an axe. Right. And so, what, so he, he does decimate um, Jack, uh, Dick Halloran, but, but he, because he's using a croquet mallet, like he breaks his jaw. He cracks him over the head. He cracks his skull. But Wendy and Danny get him and put him into the to the snow plow that they travel down the mountain with. And so and so, yes, he gets away. And he's in the epilogue of. I mean, we're spoiling everything. We encourage people to read it, and then here we go. But um, no, he's in the epilogue of the novel. Um, he's with them and everything. Yeah, the th- the three of them make it out. So that's a very distinct difference in the film uh, with the character of Halloran. I know you want to know. I will sort of pose the same question to myself in terms of scariest elements in the movie. Dude, I don't disagree with you in terms of what uh, Halloran's sort of passing in the film means because it's built up so much. But like the old lady, the old oh, lady, the bathtub I mean, lady. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, yeah. that's just that's not cool. Well, and that's I'll not shout cool out at all. No. And, and I'll shout out to. uh to our mutual college alum, Carrie Cranford, uh, who she always used to joke that honestly, the scariest moment in The Shining was the title card, which just randomly went Tuesday <laughs> and just like, oh, yeah, up yeah, yeah, at yeah. The screen, um, which I totally well, it agree. is. Like, it is kind of a random choice. I mean, like, yeah. it's a very intentional choice, but it's a little, little random. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of creepy things in the film. That bathtub lady, like, good lord! You know, one of the other creepy shots in the film, and it's just it's just disturbing. It's just unnerving. Is when Wendy, well, well, Wendy's whole like run through the Overlook after the Overlook has like gone wild. So Jack is basically after Danny now at this point, and then Wendy is just trying desperately to get out of the Overlook. And as she's running past the rooms. Did you notice when she runs past this one room and looks in and there's this bizarre like party yeah, guest? Dog man. Yeah, with like a dog man face on the thing. Right. And clearly they were engaged in some sort of sexual what? activity. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to know what dog men do when, when they're ghosts. But, <laughs> but like literally, like that's just deeply unnerving. The film sure. The film, uh, I, I cannot praise this part enough. The film's s- steadily ratcheting terror is expert. I mean, it, it, every single sequence just drills. I mean, we haven't even talked about it yet, but the but the camera shot and the sequence when Jack is axing the door. 
Like that whole yeah, you yeah. Know, camera slides, slides to the left, and then yanks back to the right with the axe. Like right. it is a, it is an incredibly effective film. It's a really effective film. I know we criticized it earlier in terms of its sort of uh, soulless qualities, which I still stand by those statements. But it is very frightening. It's a very frightening film. It's it's a a very affecting film in a lot of different ways. But in terms of like. Yeah, I, there's several other scare moments that we could that we could mention, but uh, I think my themes, uh, as as we sort of alluded to earlier, uh, and maybe appropriately so because this is Quarterly King, and so we're talking more about King's work. I think my themes sort of more extend out of the um, out of the novel, out of what I what I sure. see in the novel. But this this notion, this idea of what King does extremely well. And part of why I think his work resonates so much is he loves to take a character that is flawed and has a very noteworthy and recognizable flaw. And then while they're struggling with this internal thing, put them into a condition or a situation where they have to deal with a very real and very terrifying external threat. Like he loves to do that in his work. And and so with The Shining is probably one of the best sort of examples of that, because Jack Torrance as a character, as we mentioned, he's very sympathetic. He's trying to deal with these sort of inward demons and then finds himself in the Overlook Hotel having to deal with these uh, sort of external demons, these uh, these other sort of these other sort of uh, malevolent spirits that that he has. And I think that's something that really struck a chord with me. In terms of, I'll even go go big and go bold in terms of like why we do this show and why why we talk about these kinds of things is this notion of in the novel the struggle with his alcoholism and the struggle with his treatment of his family is then put into terrifying flesh and blood reality with. The Overlook Hotel sort of using that against him to try to come after his family. But the redemption that he finds at the end of the novel when he when he basically flips all that around and overcomes it is is quite moving and quite powerful. And I think that's something that the horror genre and horror films and horror stories in general have a real capacity to to show us in that it takes what we would classify as quote-unquote internal demons, inward demons, embodies them in a fantasy reality of external demons. Right. And then shows that they can be overcome. And sure. then shows that they can be, that they can be defeated. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, I don't know, it's, it, it's one of the things that I just really love about the horror genre when it's done right and when it's done well is that you have the opportunity to say, hey, yeah, things are stressful and there's a lot of things that you may not be able to personally feel that you're that you're up to being able to overcome. But there is always a hope that that you can defeat it, even no matter how scary it gets, no matter how uh, challenging or difficult the struggle may be. There's always the hope that you can overcome it. And I think that specific to The Shining, it speaks to me very, very much just as a father, as a husband and as a father. Uh, even though I myself have never wrestled with addiction on a personal level, so many of the things that Jack Torrance wrestles with about, you know, what I referenced earlier, please God, don't let me be this. Please God, don't, you know, don't let me be 
this thing that I despise and this thing that I hate. And um, I don't know, it's very, it's, it's very moving to me. And in most, in most of King's works, it's indicative that the redemption can be found. There can be hope sure. that you can climb over top of whatever your struggle, whatever your issue is. Um, but the other thing that I, that I kind can of I latched throw, on to. Can I throw something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Please, yeah. By all means. I think that piggybacking, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just what I do to you. Um, yes, and it hurts. <laughs> and hedge mazes. <laughs> piggybacking on what you're talking about in terms of the the notes from the book that really stick out to you thematically. The Shining the Book, I did read it as a father or since being a father. I would have to work to find something else that did this, <clears throat> but I can't remember another piece of fiction, film, or literature where I remember, like, it's, it's one thing to watch a movie and want well for the protagonist. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I sort of, I sort of anticipate this will have a positive resolution for these characters. I like these characters, what have you. And I, I remember reading and I have a vague recollection of conveying this to you verbally. I remember reading The Shining, and I, I can't pinpoint a moment in my memory to, to sort of illustrate this, but I remember the feeling that was a bit foreign in this type of material of thinking, I just really want these folks to get through this. Yeah. Like yeah, this real absolutely. investment. And, and again, maybe it's that paternal sort of feeling and and my ability, like you said, while while not suffering similar sort of demons and in, internal demons of, of of Jack, but still, well, not suffering those specific internal demons, but still those in, those internal demons of personal manliness neuroses and and mm -hmm. what it what it means to be a parent and how you how you deal with your own frailties as they, as they concern your ability to parent your child, all those sorts of things, which are right, real, right. real inner plagues, just not manifested like alcoholism or something like that. And so I just remember really plugging into the journey of Jack Torrance in the book and having this palpable feeling of, come on, you can do this. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. it, was, it was a really, I just, I don't remember. It's, it's rare to have that, stark and strong and and palpable of a reaction to a character's experience sure sure yeah and and i think that's one thing that king just does really really well is he makes you care about the people that you're reading about yes he has some books that are a bit subpar in terms of just that level of character investment and narrative heft as it were but that's what i've always loved about his writing and about his materials that he's a um He's a character-based writer. He's not a plot-based writer. Frequently, his plots can kind of, I'll be honest, kind of meander a little bit. But you always, well, most of the time, you really feel a strong investment to the characters. And this thing that you're scratching at about, like, wanting them to survive, wanting them to make, make it through this, something that's just coming to me. And I believe this is a conversation that um, I had with, with Tyler over at More Than One Lesson, connecting The Shining to The Witch. Uh, the witch that we, you know, from 2016, in terms of a family, now granted the circumstances are very different in The Shining than in The Witch, but a family sort of isolating themselves out, you know, yeah. and then and then a malevolent thing, if you will, sort of com coming after them, 
and and uh, and sort of wanting to defeat them. And in in a similar fashion, where it's like a figure in in the Shining, it's the parental figure in the Witch. That's up for debate, but a figure sort of coming after and being the source of the the problem with this family and the sort of the entry point of the malevolence to this to this family. And uh, and so I, I want to just use that to pivot me into the other thing that I thought about this, which is which is in terms of that whole isolation. It is it it is terribly difficult for any well-meaning of sound mind, believing, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. It is terribly difficult to just navigate the world. It is exponentially harder to do so alone. It sure. is unspeakably more difficult to fight against the things that would entice you away from faithfulness, the things that would plague you, uh, the things that would corrupt your spirit and your soul. It is, uh, however difficult it is to do that in community, it is tenfold, a hundredfold harder to do that when you're on your own, when you're by right. yourself. Yeah. And and that's another thing that really stands out to me that I think the film, to be candid with you, that the film does, in my mind, a better job of even than the book does in terms of expressing that isolation. Because you feel the expanse of the hotel in right, right. in the uh, film. You feel it, I think, more so than you do in the book because obviously the film is a visual medium and everything. And so you, you definitely feel uh, just how singular the 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 shot that i'm thinking of is uh when poor wendy is backing up the stairs with the with the baseball bat and he's right. threatening her you know and, and going in after her you feel how just they, it's just the two of them period like danny's not gonna come help uh dick halloran has not yet arrived uh even when he does it doesn't matter but it is one of those things where like you can feel how separated out from everything and everybody they truly are. And that makes the the threat all the more palpable and all the more real. Sure. Um, and I think I think that's one thing not to, you know, browbeat on, uh, upon it. But I think that is one thing that we have a tendency as human beings to do, particularly in times of crisis, is just there's. I won't call them out by name, and I won't even uh, mention their circumstances so as not to to give a slant to who they are. But um, there is there is a family of dear friends to us um, that are having you know very dif- very difficult time, very difficult time in a number of areas with a number of things. And one of the things that you know they have expressed is the difficulty of finding lasting loving friendships and relationships that um, just because of their location, where they are, they reach out to us, obviously, but it's remote uh, because we don't live near them. And uh, my heart just goes out to them for that because, yeah, when you're going through a difficult time, uh, all you really have is is yourself to stand up against it. And, you know, I think about a film like The Shining or I think about a story like The Shining and uh, and that's that's ultimately the over, the overlook would have no power over Jack, no tangible power if they could get out of the overlook on a regular, consistent basis. Sure. But once once winter sets in and once it really sort of digs its heels in, then the overlook has them. Now it's just them and this hotel and the influences that abound there. And I think it can be easy 
for someone to be enticed by isolation. I don't need to answer to anybody. I don't need to uh, open myself up or stay vulnerable. Uh, the The idea of just uh, me and Jesus and, and we're good and that's that's all there is to it. But I think that's very perilous to behave that way and to be drawn in by the idea that you can make it on your own or that you can overcome these things on your own. Uh, Jack does so uh, at the loss of his life and by the skin of his teeth. And I think it's something that we can too easily be enticed by the the freedom of not answering to anybody. And when that happens, it can be easy to uh, just we could be easy prey to temptations, to whether or not you believe in, you know, sort of malevolence in the world. It can be you're, you're just easy pickings. I'll use this one analogy and then I'll hush and, and get your responses uh, before I bring in the scripture. But it's basically like when a when a lion or a uh, a predator is wanting to feast on a deer or a gazelle or, or something like that, uh, they draw them out from the rest of the crowd. They get them separated out because if they're separated out, uh, then there's no safety in the in the herd. There's no safety in the community because the herd can kind of turn on even the strongest of predators and, you know, half a dozen of them can overtake that or at least, you know, pounce on him enough or right, trample right. him enough to get to get rid of him, um, even though they're clearly outmatched. But one does not stand a chance except to 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 run away to escape. But if it doesn't, if it's not fast enough, then it's it's dinner. And um, I think that. Again, just as a, a a final sort of button, I think that when we are drawn into uh, believing that we can isolate ourselves and not have consequences to that, not have long-term sort of not only just the loneliness, but also potentially dangerous things happening inside of our hearts and inside of our spirits, we, we isolate ourselves at our peril. So the scripture that I had to set a co- sort of coincide with that is just Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, which is talking about community as a whole does not necessarily uh, mean a specific church body, as it were, but certainly could mean that. Uh, Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Basically, uh, the larger context of things is that when times get perilous and and when you see times coming to, to dangerous days, then that's not the moment to hide. That's not the moment to retreat. That's the moment to connect in some in whatever version of faith community that you have, um, that is that is the time where you reach out to one another's. If you're going through a trauma, if you're going through a struggle, if you, like Jack, are suffering. See, the problem is that Jack was struggling with alcoholism, and then he went and hid away for five months right, in this hotel right. with no other, you know, no other uh, connection other than his family. Um, so if you're struggling with something, if you're struggling with some version of addiction, if you're struggling with some version of um, of dilemma or, str- or, or, or painful battle, um, then that's not the time for isolation. That's the time to dig into community, to bring that uh, to the light so that others can share your burden with you. And that's that's really the only point that I wanted to make about that specific element. Well, something you're, you're sort of, you know, instigating in my brain and spirit, perhaps um, I referenced last week that voices podcast. And I think it was on there that I'm drawing some of this remembrance from, but, but your isolation versus community concept made me think of this and I'm going to operate as though that's where I got it. And so this, this 
interview host, or rather, I'm sorry, the, the interview guest um, was talking about different different versions of um, how do I articulate this? He was juxtaposing traditional kind of evangelical uh, scripture handling versus other faith traditions. And sure. something something he says that's really fascinating. And, you know, you could perceive this as an indictment. I don't, I don't necessarily mean it that as much as just a conversation point. He's saying traditionally in evangelicalism, interpretation is everything. If you and I don't see eye to eye inter- interpretation and sort of the quote unquote side is on me is with me, then you're kind of banished from the community just, right. you know, for whether forcefully or just sort of coldly. Whereas then he juxtaposes that with like, I think and I'm going to feel really stupid if this is I'm misremembering this, but I think he's referencing Catholicism though. I could be on, I could be thinking of another sect um, where he talks about the revelation of scripture being an ongoing community effort. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I posted recently and, and you could go find this if you were really that diligent about it. I posted recently an article about a pastor who whose congregation was dealing with some very specific social questions and the pastor basically engaged the congregation in discerning how the church was going to move forward on this particular matter. Mm. And it was really, I, I thought was really lovely. And I had someone and, and I may have had some slight editorial to the posting of it, but it was meant, it was meant to be kind of celebratory, kind of fruitful and good and lovely. And a, an individual pushed back really hard on it and was like, this is the problem with culture today or America today or whatever. I don't exactly remember the the language used, but the fact he, the, 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 the rebut was indicting this pastor for engaging his community in discerning this thing as opposed to, well, the pastor should have just been made the decision and, and hewed to tradition and scripture as it's, as sure, this, sure. this poster would interpret it. And I, and, and I don't often sort of kick back specifically to this individual, but I, I, I was like, well, I actually think this was handled rather sensitively. And, sure. and, you know, your, your sort of point about, um, isolation kind of creating these monsters. Like, I feel like so often I'll just personalize it. Like we are, I am prone, you know, our our tendency is towards not isolation per se, but arrogance of thought born of isolation. If that makes any sense. In other words, yeah, no, I understand that. I, this is how I interpret. This is what I think. Um, this is what my specific, pastor said or my church said and you are right and like jack torrance with an axe i'm gonna come at you if Mm -hmm. you challenge it as opposed to a much more perhaps scriptural you know this this really is me just sort of searching here like a much more communal like you know where two or more gathered you know the, the the body and and hear me, it may sound like someone may hear me and they're like, well, well, Nathan, you're saying you don't want pastors. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that 
the the division, the separation of one from the other can create a monster. <laughs> yeah, sure. unintentionally versus we are, you know, what regardless of your thoughts and feelings on the titles in a church body, we are nonetheless all still in this together. And yeah, I will defer to a pastor and uh, based on academics and history and, and study their role. But I also think there's great value in the bodies informing a direction together. I don't know sure. if that's making any sense at all. I'm just sort yeah, of, yeah, yeah, you know, spinning a little bit off of that notion of in isolation, we, we, we kind of create our own self as monster and as idol and as under the name of, or under the pretext of independent thought versus right. Plugged in, grafted in is where home is and is where, yeah, is, is, is just where you're kind of meant to be. I don't know if that's making any sense at all. No. That's all, that's all I got. <laughs> no, it does, because as I think about the notion of that that you do things as a body, within the body, for the body, like any any sort of uh, superlative you want to add in there, that it's like you, you, you put... Um, you put yourself into an integrated community and there's just such a safety there. Mm-hmm. There can be pain. There can be betrayal. There can be loss. There can be confusion. There can be all kinds of other things. It's like a, a minister that I love down in Florida named Steve Brown frequently says, he's like, yeah, I want you to come join my church, but I want you to know we might hurt you. You know, like it's, it's, and he's saying that kind of tongue in cheek, like, right, hey, right, right, right. We're, you know, we're, we're people and we make mistakes and we do things, you know, kind of wrong sometimes. And so I think that, yeah, there, there can be a fearfulness to community. I guess I'll say it this way. Community can be the scarier option, but isolation is the more dangerous option. Um, I'm down with that. And I, I want to, I want to sort of caveat in there too, that lest we overlook this, <laughs> you like how I just did that? That was not on purpose. Yes. Um, yeah lest we dismiss this as a real thing, I do think, and I'm a firm believer for those of you who have them in terms of uh, a growing one or, or a, a spousal and a family is a community and, yeah, and, and, and can be and is part of the body. If, if you are consider yourself so, and, and, and such as that, the point I'm trying to make is in the film that family could have been, a good place. Yeah. Uh, they just opted even within that trio of characters, you know, Jack and Wendy are completely at odds with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like there's a lot of mistrust. Know, yeah. All I'm saying is your, 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 the body, if you will, can be as close as those in the walls of your home. You know? Sure. Yeah. No, I, and, and I definitely think that it's something you are not alone. So you need not go through whatever it is alone. Um, yeah, whether it's uh, the larger community, uh, your church body, whatever your community is, then um, then yes. Um, so uh, so yeah, do you want to bring in old old David SP? <laughs> DSP. <laughs> DSP. DSP. 
Any questions? Yes, as, <laughs> as we do um, every film we discuss. Um, if you've if you've been here for a while, you you know old. Uh, we we talked about Uncle Stevie. We're bringing along Uncle Uncle Pumpkins. I don't know. It's, it's just our, our family. Uncle Stevie and Uncle Davy. Yeah, yeah. Um, we measure every film we discuss. I hope this wasn't a too hard pivot. I mean, I felt like it was a natural place to bring old. Yeah. The conversation. All right. Yeah. Good. No. No. Um, I think so. Yeah. Hopefully uh, our listeners did too. I think so. Yeah. Three particular um, sort of columns here: uh, that of style, scares, and substance. We rank them on a measure of zero to five. Uh, David S. Pumpkins. So, Reed, how do you feel about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining when it comes to style? Um, I'm I'm gonna do something very deliberate here, uh, because we have some caveats and we had some dings down earlier to what we talked about, but I'm gonna give it a five for style. Wow, a solid wow. Five, five. Wow, yes. all right, you did that. Yes, I mean, that, that yes. actually did surprise me. Yes, so I'm going to give it a solid five for style. I think I think the film craft at play is nearly unparalleled in terms of uh, there's there's just so much to praise. There's so much to admire, uh, and then yeah, you'll understand it in a bit. Um, I think for me, I think if I were operating under that similar type of paradigm, I could totally echo a five in terms of the pure craft at work. Um, knowing how I tend to measure these and knowing that it is very difficult to impossible to extricate my affection for the book and what it does over the movie, I will probably land it, I think, at 3.5 for The Shining. All right. And what about... uh, I'll I'll go with Scare. So, by the same token, though, uh, that may feel like a ding down on the style. Like, I mean, I don't love the sort of locomotive aspect of Nicholson's performance. Which, which yeah. sort of as King may have suggested, it feels like a foregone conclusion that he's just going to be a crazy person by the end. That yeah, said, yeah. even disregarding that or even setting that to the side, the mood, the tone, the score, the imagery, the cinematography, the old lady, the dog suit, uh, the elevator, the twins, the over the shoulder Hot Wheels. I mean... I would, I think I would probably land at like a solid four. I'd consider a four or five. I, I'm going to land at a four. All right. Scares. Landing at a four. Landing at a four. Calling it. Um, this remains one of the scariest films uh, that I think is out there in existence for me, in my opinion. Uh, I am also going to give it a five for scares. Yeah. I, I think. I think it remains. I feel like if you give us a five for substance, you're sort of betraying your your whole conversation. What a, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll, see. we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So, yeah. But that, I think, what about yeah, what about so, all substance? Really? Um, for substance, knowing what I know about the book, and knowing what I feel about the film, even separated out from the book, I'm giving it a one for substance. We'll be out. There you go. Because, <laughs> Poor, poor Dick. Oh, poor Halloran. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but no, I'm giving it because because I kind of, especially in light of the film uh, or in light of the book, I kind of agree that it's like it 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 is a bit soulless. Um, it's not, and one is a bit unfair, perhaps because there's not that there's nothing to the film, 
But in light of what the book brings to the table, and that's that's where I kind of landed. I was like, do I ding down everything or do I just go ahead and admit like, hey, no, I think this is an exceptional film. I think it's terribly scary. But I think in terms of talking points, there's a struggle until you sort of understand uh, sort of what the book brings to it or what and, and anything that there is of substance in the film came from the book. So, like, even though our talking points about, like, isolation and stuff like that, that all came from it, the book. It is, Although, before uh, before you give your substance rating, I just, just lip service, there's a documentary out there by directed by Rodney Asher called Room 237 uh-huh. that is all just extrapolations of wild theories that fans have about connecting he, points he, in The Shinings. Um, I didn't know this. The, the supposition that Kubrick filmed the moon landing as a yes. fake. Yes. That is in there. That right, is in right, there. Right. That's, that's that's part ridiculous. of that film. But yeah, there's a whole film. It's like an hour and forty five minutes of just fan theory in the in the Shining, and it's yeah, it's wild. Anyway, it's, um, as far as my substance rating, I will I will preface it by saying what's what's neat about our conversations. And I don't mean that like cutesy wise, but like truly is is cool about what tends to happen in our conversations is is movies that I may struggle. Hopefully this happens to you and it's not just me catching up, but you know, typically what can happen sometimes is you, you can kind of sense something, a heart beating in a given piece of material, but are hundred yeah, percent sure right. like where you go. And then the conversation tends to reveal some of that. And you're like, Oh, I'm going to get this for my theme. Right. Like I keep, I keep working mentally <laughs> and it, I, I'm not going to say there absolutely isn't, but it's almost like there's no theme at work in sure. Kubrick's yeah. The Shining. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I understand. Um, I understand. I struggle with it a little bit, too. I, I do feel like yours might be a hair more cutthroat than I would have gone. But So I, I'll go 1.5 on substance. All right. All right. So that's the thing, guys. We, we, we agree that this is a, a great... We agree with King that this is a great, big, beautiful car that can take you nowhere. <laughs> All that um, said... Uh, and you know, it is funny. I do think Mr. King loves cars. He's a car enthusiast. So it is, <laughs> that's an a- appropriate analogy. Um, in the spirit of that, we give Stanley Kubrick's The Shining a 6.5 David S. Pumpkins. Yes, which, indeed. Interestingly, I believe is the exact same place we landed on. We need to talk about Kevin. Yes, um, it is. So the hashtag parenting fails series continues. It aligns. Uh, yes, it, does. it, it does. aligns. <laughs> that's hysterical. Um, so yeah, it's a. Uh, but I think that's still a solid rating. I mean, obviously, listeners, if you think we should have rated it like a ten or or higher, uh, then listen to the early part of our conversation, and uh, most importantly, go read the book, and then you'll understand yeah, why we why we totally. gave it a six point five. Um, but uh, but yeah, if you want to continue this conversation with us, if you want to uh, bark at us for giving it uh, only a six point five, or if you want to comment on any of the things that we've touched on with isolation or any of that, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. And if you want to continue that conversation with us then stay tuned and you can hear some of our some of the ways in which you can reach out to us um but uh, yeah nathan that's a quarterly king number Great. three in the book quarterly man. king that's... number three i i cannot i cannot exaggerate or overemphasize uh, how how hysterical i found that at it uh, it was just yeah it was it, it was brilliant it was brilliant it. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Until uh, until next time. Let's uh, see you guys. Yeah, we'll see you guys later. Bye. 
The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hashtag I love the 90s. My spirit has been unmoored right now, we're so a bit distracted. precise numbers are going to elude me. That's exactly right, but we're, but we're uh, a bit distracted because we're about to uh, to go into The Shining. Well, and I'm trying to think through. I mean, I know the iconic imagery from The Shining, but like what we just experienced with Insidious, I don't know what's going to jump out at me. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, can't, I'm trying I would to imagine think. a guy with an axe at some point. <clears throat> yeah. Here's Johnny kind of thing. Right. I do love that it is the, the entryway to The Shining is, um, I can't even think straight right now. <laughs> is, hedge uh, maze. Hedge, uh, like, yeah, like a hedge maze is, is a pretty iconic imagery from, it's definitely gonna, from the book. Yeah, it's probably going to be pretty cold in here, which I'm excited about because I'm very warm. Because yeah. I was. Well, you're going to be warmer in just a <laughs> second when I cuddle up real close. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> This is the second of seven bases. Seven? Seven bases. Lord, help me. This is a test of friendship. <laughs> Before it's all over, I will be carrying you through these bases. <laughs> running at such in your arms. Running over people just to get out. Just to say we did it. It's to be like a Looney Tunes. <laughs> You're trampling on top of heads to try to get through the thing. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. This is the one I was most anticipating. This is the big one. Well, what deal. I noticed in the last one is what you don't want to be is in the front. Oh, yeah. Because you could observe a few ahead of you to know what's going to sure. jump out at you. Yeah, sure. And time it. Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Let's get in there. Oh, winter is coming. Winter's here. Winter's coming. Oh, boy. All right, everybody. Stephen King's The Shining. It's going to be quarterly king number three right here. No. <laughs> what is... Red rum, the door. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, all those pictures. <laughs> all the Overlook Hotel stuff. Okay, something's there. Oh, gosh, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And no play makes Jack a dull boy. Don't let go! You're holding me! How can oh. I go? Oh no! The twins! Little Danny! Oh, 235! Oh man! I'm not excited about this! Oh god! Oh god! Oh no! I'm glad we missed that one! There's a lady in the bathtub. Oh, the toilet. I'm scared of toilets. Oh, my God. Oh. oh, man. And there he is again. Good God Almighty. Oh, no. Oh. Oh. 
this creepy bear. No, 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 no. Oh my god. No, 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 no. Oh my gosh, the elevator. Somebody there? Oh. Oh, that's disgusting. Oh, that's so sick. Okay, he's. There he is, up there. Yeah, so just be ready. Maybe close your eyes because here it comes. Oh, God. Yeah, I see you, okay? The wall's on the left. Oh, here we go. Okay. Oh, I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. <laughs> what listeners don't know is I'm basically using Reed as a prop. A human shield? Right, right. Resisting the urge to throw you into danger. And if you've never seen the two of us together, I'm, oh. what, 5'7"? Right. Weigh 130 pounds. Oh. You're uh, taller. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man. All right. Oh. Listeners, we'll see you later. Oh.